So our scripture this morning is Psalm 116. Psalm 116, it says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. That's the word of God this morning. I asked Chris to read from Psalm 116 because it's a psalm that celebrates God's deliverance and salvation. And out of that deliverance and salvation come a, comes a heart that longs to worship. The psalmist says, I will make thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. I will lift the cup of salvation. The writer is full of praise because he has experienced God's salvation. And today we're about to look at Exodus chapter 35. Exodus 35, this passage of scripture falls after one of the greatest moral failures in all of Scripture. And the things that are recorded here, I believe, are recorded to help us see how forgiven people serve the Lord. So I've titled my message this morning, Redeemed People Serve. Redeemed People Serve. And I want us to think this way. Faith, that is, Belief, conviction, faith is shown through love. Not just obedience, but love. Faith is shown through love, and love is shown through service. If I tell my wife I love her, but I never show her, she will not and should not believe me. And so I want us to remember this phrase. Faith is shown through love, and love is shown through service. James said it this way, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And I believe this morning in Exodus chapter 35, we see the redeemed people of God showing us their faith 
by what they do. The Bible is very clear. We are forgiven by the free grace of God, by faith in the Son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. In Exodus, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And so the mercy of God has saved the people who sinned so grievously. Nothing that I can say or do will earn God's favor. He freely gives it as a gift so that we are saved by grace through faith. We do not deserve salvation. God gives it freely as a gift. And that salvation, that peace with God is not just something that changes your eternal destiny, but it changes your heart right now so that you long to be with God. And if this morning you say, I don't know that I long to be with God, a changed heart will also do this. At the very least, it will cause you to desire God so that you will be dissatisfied in the things that you should love and enjoy. So you hunger and long for God sometimes in darkness by recognizing that you don't enjoy God's good blessings and God's good things. And so I want to encourage you this morning that God can change your heart. And if you long for Him, if you struggle to sing, if you struggle to worship with emotion and conviction and feeling, that's okay. Your longing could be the beginning of seeking the Lord. And it's my prayer that that's the case for all of us today, that we would long the presence and power of God here. And that is what we see with God's people in Exodus, that they begin to serve Him because of His redemption. So, by way of background, we have been going through this book now for nine months, and we are almost through. This is one of the last messages I'll preach from Exodus. We have seen... God respond to the cries of his people. In the beginning of chapters 1, their burden is heavy. They cry to the Lord. God responds to their cries. He answers their prayers by sending Moses to deliver them from slavery. We have seen God's judgment on unrepentant sin. We have seen the ten plagues poured out on Egypt. We have seen God's power lead his people on dry ground through the Red Sea. We have seen God's provision as He gave His people bread and water in the desert. And we have seen God's character. He reveals His law from Mount Sinai so that we know what is right and what is wrong. We've seen God's glory. You see it in smoke. You hear it in thunder. And we've seen God's plan to live among His people. He establishes a priesthood. He instructs them to build a tabernacle. And as as the people hear his instructions, at that point, right as they've pledged to be God's people, is where they sin and they break faith with God and they worship an idol. And so most recently, we have seen God's mercy. As Moses prayed that God would not destroy his people and God responds to Moses' prayer and extends mercy. And so I preached those messages on the people's sin and God's mercy And I said very directly, I believe that we as First Baptist Church of Holly need to plead for God's power and God's presence in our church. That God would continue to act and continue to work here. And then we saw God's glory restored to Israel. They see in the shining face of Moses that God's presence is still with him. 
And now, we're about to see that God's promises to live among Israel, to be their God, and to live in their midst, those promises will still come true even after failure. So there's amazing hope in Exodus chapter 35 that even if you've committed a grave sin, even if you've come to know the Lord and you still sin, some of you live with guilt, some of you live with burdens that you should not bear because the mercy of God has been extended to you in Christ Jesus. And so there's amazing hope. And this morning, I want to look at the different ways that redeemed people serve the Lord. Remember what I said at the beginning, that faith shows itself in love, love shows itself in service. We're about to see the service of people who love the Lord. But before we do that, there's something that's sort of surprising. As you're going through this sequence in Exodus, verses 1 through 3 might seem a little bit out of place. And I've entitled them this way, Rest as Service. Rest as as service. Notice with me verses 1 through 3 of Exodus chapter 35 it says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So he's showing the severity and the extent that this command exists for Israel. That they must rest on the Sabbath. And this is not the first time. You might think, even before the Ten Commandments, God instructed His people on how to keep a Sabbath as He gave them manna. And He said that on the seventh day, you don't collect manna, you rest. I will provide for you. And again, in the Ten Commandments, He said... Honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And again and again throughout Exodus, he has taught his people that they should rest. And now, as they are about to build the tabernacle, again he says, rest on the Sabbath. This is hugely important, but to us it seems redundant. Why does he repeat it so much? Well, here's what I believe you and I need to take from this right now and today. They are about to begin in Exodus building the tabernacle. This is sacred work. This is God's business. This is ministry. And I believe that they might think we're doing God's work. Maybe the Sabbath doesn't apply when I'm not working for myself, but I'm working for God. And I believe, I've said very clearly, we worship on Sunday. We don't worship on Saturday anymore. Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. And I believe that we are not obligated to keep it in the same way. It's a gift of rest. But here is one of the biggest ways that I am tempted to break Sabbath and that I think all of us are tempted to break Sabbath, especially if you believe in the value of ministry and you want to serve the Lord. You might think that ministry depends on you or on me. And that if we don't work until we die, that God's kingdom is not going to advance and move forward. And that is not true. God will accomplish His work, and we rest in part to trust that it's the Lord that does the work, not us. And so as we talk about praying that God would show His power and His presence here. And I am praying that He does in a thousand ways so that no one would be able to deny that God is here saving people, changing lives, growing people up into maturity. As we ask that God would do that work, we need to be faithful to rest that it is God who does the work. Not me, not you, not anybody else. He will work through us. But at the end of the day, 
we need to rest as a recognition that God is the only one who is immortal. He has made us needing rest so that we continue to depend on Him. And so the first act of worship that God instructs them to observe and to obey is to rest on the Sabbath. And I believe that it should be part of our regular rhythm that we worship God, not as people who accomplish God's work without Him, that'll never happen, but as people who are trusting that God will do the work as we call on Him, as we depend on Him, and as we rely on Him. So some of you may be distressed. Maybe you're distressed for other people in your life that don't know the Lord. Maybe you feel like it all depends on you. What I would say to you today is rest. Some of you may be distressed for our church. And what I would say to you today is rest on the Lord that God is able to save and that everything good is from the Lord and that everything works together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose so you can trust Him. He is a good God. He will not fail you. In fact, you can rest because of His goodness. So the first way that the redeemed people of God serve the Lord is they keep the Sabbath. They rest. They trust in their Redeemer. Secondly, the second thing that they do is they give as an act of service to the Lord. Read with me verses 4 through 9 here. Moses says to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Now, if you're visiting here today, half of that stuff might seem really weird. If you've been here, you know what some of those things are for. And I'll mention them again in just a second. The important thing to recognize is that God's forgiven people have hearts that are generous. This text says, whoever is of a generous heart contributed so that they could build the tabernacle, so that God could live among them and dwell in their midst. And that giving comes as a result of a forgiven heart. And I believe the New Testament teaches also that we are not to give out of any sort of obligation, out of any sort of duty. Instead, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, everyone must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The reason that we are cheerful is because God has washed away our sins in Jesus Christ. And the ministry that we have as a church is to spread the presence and power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we give, we give out of recognition of what God has done for us, out of His kindness to us, that our sins are forgiven, that His mercy is more than anything that we have done. And we give so that message can spread far and wide, so that As we talked about in our catechism question this morning, the curse starts to work backwards and is undone because of Jesus Christ. So we love and help the poor because no one in God's kingdom should be poor. And most of all, we preach the message of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. 
because the curse of sin is undone by the blood of Jesus. And that is why we give. We give because of the the mercy that God has shown to us. So, first of all, forgiven people rest in the goodness of God. Secondly, they give to the work of His ministry. Thirdly, notice, not only do they give financially, but they also give their own skills and abilities. Read with me, and this is a little bit long, but read with me verses 10 all the way through 19, and notice how many different things are given and contributed and how many skills it would have taken in order for the work of God to move forward. Notice here, it says, verse 10, Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So they are creating the things that God has told them to make and it takes skill and ability and every skillful craftsman, so many people, not just a few, Verse 11, the tabernacle, the place where God was going to dwell, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court, and their cords, the finely worked garments for the ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. So that's a lot. If you remember... The whole point of this tabernacle is that God is going to dwell in the presence of Israel. You might remember when we talked about the Ark of the Covenant, that's where the tablets from the Ten Commandments were placed. And that Ark was a sign and a symbol of them that they were God's people. They had committed to obey what God had told them to do. And the ark preserved that promise and that commitment. And then in addition to that, when they made the the sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would take blood from the bull and they would put it on top of the altar. And what that symbolized, what that shows, is that sinners can come into the presence of God by the blood of the sacrifices that God told them to make. That is what Jesus did for us. His blood makes it possible for us to come into the presence of the living God. And that's what is a picture here in Israel that His people could do so long ago that God could dwell in them only by the blood, only by God's holiness, and only by His commandments. And that picture is the people break all His commandments constantly. And so there's a sacrifice for sins that lets God dwell in the midst of sinful people. In order to make that possible, they had to build the tent. They had to make the altar. They had to make all of the utensils. And in order for that to happen, Scripture says every skillful craftsman among the people of Israel made all that the Lord commanded. And so they gave their skills and abilities. They worked together to make this possible. And so they gave their work as an act of service to the Lord because they were forgiven. Now, In the church, this works the same way. Not all of us serve in the same way. Some people cut grass here. 
We have an amazing team of people that maintain our lawn, literally. Some people vacuum the floor. Some people serve by teaching our kids. Some people serve in administrative capacities. Some people manage spreadsheets and budgets, and I thank God for those people. All of us have different skills and abilities, but all of us should be serving the Lord because of what He has done for us. And so they offer their work as a service. And I noticed lastly within this morning, not only does every skillful craftsman work, but there is unity among the whole nation in how they work together. And read with me verses 20 through 29. And what I'd like you to notice as we read this is notice how many different types of people, again, with different types of skill are mentioned. And notice how many times it says all and every again and again so that no one is excluded and no part of Israel is left out. Notice with me the unity in service. Look at verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the Holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskin or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and the spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Notice how many times it says all and every, that both men and women are included and people of diverse skills all came together in unity so that God could dwell among them. You might think for a moment of what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17, that the people of God would be united so that everyone would know that there is unity when we come to worship the Lord together. As I think about our church, though, one of the things that I, that I feel compelled to say is that I think the biggest obstacle to unity in our church is not so much that there's bickering and infighting. There, there's some of that. We're human, right? Here's the thing, though. The biggest obstacle to our unity is because we don't simply spend much time together. It's not that we're opposed and dislike each other. It's that we rarely come together, especially because we are a two-service church. And so one of the struggles that we have is being united. And there are so many things. You can, you can open your home. You can be hospitable. You can come to Sunday school when two services have a chance to come together. And old and young people together can worship the Lord 
learning about the truths of Scripture. But here's the thing. I believe unless we are united, that God is not ultimately honored. That in order for us to do the work of God's ministry, we need to be united. We need to have a common vision that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing in the world. For them, their common vision was that God was going to dwell among them. That's exactly what happens in the church. God dwells in the church. Ephesians says that we are being built together into a temple for the Lord by the Spirit. That's what happens. Jews, Gentiles, people from all over the world, people in Africa, people in China, right now are sharing in the same Spirit as we are all being built together into a temple where God dwells. That's our common vision. And if we're not united so that we work together and serve together, so that every member of the church uses his or her abilities and gifts for that common vision, we will not move forward as a people. And so one of the things I believe we need to pray for is greater unity. We need to have vision so that we can come together as a church in prayer, so that we can come together as a church in faithfully teaching the truths of Scripture. And I want to challenge you today to work towards your unity with our church, to make an effort to know people, to meet people, and to build the unity of our vision around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But perhaps the most important thing to notice about Exodus chapter 35, I've already mentioned it, it's that it follows one of the greatest failures in all of Scripture. All of their service, everything that they do, even their unity, comes as a result of the mercy of God. And I believe that that is so critical to recognize, to remember the forgiveness that we have through Christ Jesus. They worship God through giving and serving because they have tasted the mercy of God. The mercy unites them in service and generosity. And as you think about what this means for you and for me, I want to remind you that if you have confessed your sin to God, trusting in the blood of Jesus you have experienced the same forgiveness of God. You have tasted His mercy. And so as a result, your heart should lead you to a place of service and generosity. And I want to remind you, maybe you know this story, maybe you don't, but I want to remind you of one of the most famous examples of this principle, that forgiveness leads to generosity and sacrificial worship. And so if you have your Bible this morning, let me encourage you, turn over to Luke chapter 7 with me. And I want to close with this clear and beautiful story of someone who has tasted God's mercy and then becomes someone who loves so much. Remember what I said, faith is shown through love and love is shown through service? Notice with me in Luke chapter 7, and we'll actually start in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them, with the ointment. Now this causes quite a stir. And what Jesus says to the Pharisee is recorded down. Look, skip down with me to the end of the chapter here in verses 47 through 50. Jesus says to this grumpy Pharisee, 
Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can I ask you this morning, how is your heart? Do you remember the forgiveness of sins that God offered to you in the gospel? Is that real to you today? Do you remember the price that Jesus paid for the forgiveness of your sins? That His hands were pierced with nails, that His feet were pierced with nails? Do you remember the love of God poured out for you? And let me ask you, this morning, do you love God? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us now where we have heard your word. I pray that your spirit would take it into our hearts. I pray that you would help us to rest in your forgiveness. And God, I pray that you would make our hearts generous. Make us eager to serve. Make us your people where you dwell. And I pray that you would do this by your word through our Savior Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.